You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to another fabulous episode of Dear Multi-Hyphenate. I'm your host, Michael Kushner, and I'm so excited to be bringing this episode to you. This is a really, really special episode. I I, I know that we talk a lot about, um, you know, spiritual and emotional aspects to creating theater and multi-hyphenating, but this is like a very practical approach. It's literally about money and changing the psychology of money and steps of, of uh, revisiting <laughs> money and uh, it's just a topic that I sort of feel like everyone has questions about and there's like no answers but this episode is really cool because I got answers I I'm sort of in awe in in Jody and her energy and what she was saying um, the episode's a little longer than normal but I think it's worth every second uh we're also probably going to do another episode too because there's more to talk about um but this episode is also really deeply personal i go into it uh and parts of my past that i haven't really talked about in this uh, in this podcast before so you know go go there with me and um it was you know it's it's emotional to talk about certain things but i really hope you enjoy it the episode and um uh, some exciting things happening I can't wait to share with you and announce. I haven't really talked about any projects that I'm working on, but mainly because we haven't been able to um, announce them yet, but there's some really exciting things happening, and um, I really feel the support from listeners. I really love when you reach out and share with me that you are listening to it or something was inspiring to you, and please rate, comment, subscribe, tell your friends and your family. It's really uh, really important. It's, you know, to help people find out about this. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I love speaking with you and to you and for you. And, um, uh, yeah, I'm just, I really love this episode and I really hope that you can take something away with it. So let's, let's get into it. Right. Um, follow on social media at dear multi hyphenate at the Michael Kushner that's on Instagram and TikTok. And uh, if you want to be a part of Dear Multi-Hyphenate, email me at dearmultihyphenate at gmail.com. And let's talk about whether or not uh, you would like to come on the the show or we could, you know, discuss privately or work together, whatever it is. I want to be a... um, a resource for you and you can also buy my book which is available on the rutledge publishing website or amazon or rutledge uh, nope i said rutledge what did i mean the drama bookshop that's what i meant <laughs> i'm tired it was a long day um and uh yeah you can you can get involved that way as well i'm also working on a big workshop a very big workshop it might be like a like a 10 week workshop um, which I'll tell you about soon, but that's going to be really interesting. All right, let's get into Jody. Jody Carter, CPA, has spent decades helping individuals, couples, and families from all different financial levels and circumstances make countless choices. This unique view sparked her desire to teach people how to live their best lives. Jody founded Financial Insight Training to help people shift their lives from stress to freedom. 
As a lifelong supporter of the arts, Jody knew she had to create a program specifically tailored to the unique needs of artists who live with fluctuating income and need specialized guidance for managing their finances. The IFCOM paradigm is the framework for creative people to live as thriving artists. Enjoy the episode. Hi, Jody Carter. How are you? Hi, Michael. I'm so good. How are you? This is really exciting uh, to talk about because I was telling you, you know, I have a lot of um, guests that we talk about, like the spiritual, the artistic, you know, energies being like, just do what you love. But I think a lot of questions I get from students, from clients, from whoever, from listeners is, okay, but how do I do what I love? And a huge how is the financial aspect of what we do. Wow. Hello <laughs> of what we do. See the, the inner demons are coming out even as I about because it's like, you know, I'm sure you've heard this, um, but it's like, I, I sort of have my own method to my madness, but I'm also at the same time, like, I don't know what I'm doing half the time. And I, you know, run a, run multiple businesses. So we're going to get into that. Where are you from? We're meeting each other for the first time right now, too, which is right. amazing. We were introduced by the incredible Alexis Cepeda, who is so yes. fabulous. Where so are you fabulous. from? What's your background? What do we have to know about you? Well, I'm a New York girl, originally born in the Bronx. Nice. Um, grew up mostly in New Jersey and back in Midtown Manhattan now. Um, professionally, I am a CPA, Certified Public Accountant. And um, a thriving tax practice, helping individuals, small businesses. But in my work doing that, I was much more interested in people's lives and how they were managing their finances. And I got really curious about how to help people feel more confident because just what you're pointing to, you're saying, well, I have my ways, but I don't know if it's right. Everyone feels that way because no one taught us anything. And I really wanted to become that teacher and trainer that was helping people. So that's how we ended up here. I already know that I'm going to make this a required listening episode for <laughs> everyone, because that is, you couldn't have said it better. Like we were not taught how to. And what's so annoying and stupid about it is like, I try to teach what I know to my students so much, but I could see their brains going like, you know what I mean? Mainly pro probably because I can't explain it well enough. You know, like I'm not saying it's their fault. I think I, I can't explain it well enough. And I also think this, the topic of money is scary to people. And I think, I you know, I think, you know how people faint when they see like blood or whatever. Mm -hmm. I think, people immediately go, what's that when it has, when it has to do with money. So what is your, and this is an artist podcast for, for, right. for television, film and, and theater industry right. uh, personnel. So when it comes to being an artist, what do you think is the first thing that we have to know about money? So I work with a lot of people in the arts and part of that reason is because I'm really listening to the special, special challenges that they have. And the first thing that I really want people to have is a new language for how to deal with this. 
And so I created what I call the if-come paradigm. And if-come, which is a word that I have since trademarked because I thought it was so precious and I want to make sure that it's used appropriately, is about that fluctuating and uncertain income that all artists and creatives grapple with. Multi-hyphenates are working from many different sources and that the income that they have can be sporadic. It can be very high at times. There can be huge lulls. How do you manage that? And we have to start with shifting the way that we think about it. And then from there, we can start to work on a plan. So the first thing I want people to know is that IFCOME is not a barrier to success. Full stop. The problem that many people have and why your students or listeners are going to immediately feel a little guarded around money is because they are told the starving artist paradigm is the only way. And we also have our own relationships to money, right? Especially yes. with especially with the conversation of privilege being mm -hmm. a, a, a huge conversation that many people are are talking about. It's like, you know, well, you can't have a seat at this table because you're you come from this amount of privilege, or you can't sit at this table because you're you're not privileged enough. And I feel like there's a lot of shame, especially when it comes to spending or not spending and of course the starving artist mentality is really big there it's uh you know people think that you know we're gonna be artists have to and there's no shame and i say this all the time because people do like waiting tables and they're good at it but they think that they're gonna be waiting tables till four in the morning living with 10 roommates in a roach infested apartment in the city um, scrounging away, at, you know, and 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 waste quote unquote waste wasting their life away as a waiter or whatever. And you're so right in terms of like the starving artist mentality is is really real. We have to take back the narrative mm -hmm. as an industry as an industry, and we have to be able to say to each other that there is a way to manage your finances, however it's working. You know, when I when I speak to someone, when I first heard the term multi-hyphenate, I immediately thought about, because I was already using the word ifcome with people, I wasn't thinking, you know, the triple threat or the person that produces and directs and acts. I was thinking of the person who does catering and is auditioning mm -hmm. and acting. I was thinking of the person who does a social media business while they're writing a book, right? And so like all of that to me falls under the same thing. Whatever jobs you have on your path to where you're trying to get to, to your vision, all matter. And the fact that we call these things a side hustle or we talk about, um, the, the unwanted jobs and, and all of those types of descriptions, it's not empowering people. And if you are doing those jobs that are outside of the career path that you're aspiring to, that doesn't mean that it's not all part of the path because if it's supporting you financially and giving you the stability to pursue creative things, then 
that is part of who you are and what you're doing. And we want to be able to embrace it all and then make good decisions. And that's the part that we all missed training on. I try so, to, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. That's okay. I, I try to, the, the narrative I try to put with side, the side hustle mm -hmm. is that sometimes small theater makers have a small business that they just sort of keep to the side mm -hmm. and like a personal training business or whatever. And mm -hmm. I write the, right. about this in my book, how to be a multi-hyphen in the theater business. And, and they prefer to keep it to the side when it, when we embrace the multi-hyphenate aspect of us, right. it's when the small business then becomes a part of our artistic identity and informs the other hyphens. So some people that. have questioned why I sort it's like an anti-label label. And some people question why I'm like, well, why sometimes they'll catch me saying, okay, well, I wouldn't consider that being a multi-hyphenate because, and there's one simple reason, and it's because of the cross-pollinating. Because for me, when we have a list of things that we do, like I'm an actor, photographer, producer, writer, podcaster, educator. But if I were to keep going on that list, right, I could say easily husband, dog, dad, uh, social media person, um, uh, house renovator. And then I start listing all my personality traits, my hobbies, my interests. And I don't want to muddle that. I don't want. And if I were to have what I've coined a for now job instead of survival job, if I were to have a for now job that didn't have to do with my artistry, I wouldn't want to incorporate that as a part of my artistic identity because that's not, I because I don't want that to be a part of my artistic identity. If I was to be serving tables, I'd want to keep that separate because that's what I'm doing for now until I make it on Broadway or until I book this next gig or until whatever. And that's the only mentality that I want people to sort of differentiate, not incorporating the shame aspect, because I think there's a difference. I think there's the, I'm so shameful. I'm not going to acknowledge any part of that aspect of my life. Or do we acknowledge it and go, this is where I am right now. This is what's helping me pay my bills. And I could differentiate the two between what is helping me do that and this artistry and the goals that I'm setting. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. One of the things that I try to get people to see is that you cannot separate life and financial. Mm -hmm. So people talk about a financial life. That's not a thing, right? Your finance involves life, life involves finance. Mm -hmm. And so taking the approach of looking at all of this through money, you have one life. And so those jobs that are giving you stability and the ability to have creative pursuits are part of the foundation of everything that you're building. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so important to look at it from that lens because otherwise there's a part that you are bristling at instead of looking at and saying, this is what's getting me where I'm trying to get to. And we need to be able to look at that one of the important reasons is that the scramble and desperate feeling that comes from the starving artist narrative can be stopped when you stop thinking that you have to take every job. So when we get clarity 
about your financial oh. picture, you then are able to say, oh, I don't have to work as hard at this day job or whatever I'm pursuing there. But also as more artistic opportunities come in, when you have clarity about your finances, you don't have to accept every one of those jobs either. I'm literally obsessed with you because I say this just, <laughs> I, I say this from the guise of headshots. I think what has worked really well for me, and again, doesn't necessarily, it's not going to necessarily work for everyone. But for me, what I have noticed is when I do not go to every audition and I say no to auditions that are not going to serve me and I'm not going to serve the project. And I know it mm -hmm. because I'm looking at myself as who I am as an artist. Mm -hmm. When I get into those rooms that I know I'm going to do well, I do well. Because I haven't spread myself so thin to the point of, of I'm just trying, I'm just trying to get into every room or, you know, even when we're aware of hearing no or or sorry, it's not this time, even even when you're do when you're auditioning, it still is a no. And that still is hard to hear. And I think reserving those opportunities for yourself and being like and being like there's a better chance for me to get a maybe or a yes to this because of what i can offer the no's become less and the work becomes less there are so many auditions that i get where i'm like i should have been working on this for three years and i'm not ready mm -hmm. for this because i'm not interested in it my heart's not in it i don't have the skill set for this these are asking for notes that i can't hit yet or it's or a sound that i don't hit or a movement that i don't do I'm going to say no to it. But yet I think artists are so pressured to say yes to every single thing that comes across them because this could be the big break. And they've heard things like, just show up. You never know what will happen. I don't think that is a healthy model to have a career in. You're absolutely right. And one of the things that you're really pointing at is this scarcity abundance model. But there's a lot of middle ground there. What, what's in, what's in between scarcity and abundance is choice. Mm. And we need to move ourselves from this feeling of scarcity and this feeling of, I have to do everything. I'm going to throw everything in and try to figure it out. When you go to an audition or you're pursuing something creative and there's financial pressure in the background, that's what shows up. That's what they see across the audition table, right? So when we start to focus on our finances and we take this moment, and I know it's scary, but we take the time to actually look and we create an understanding for ourselves, that is game changing. Mm -hmm. You know, when the pandemic hit and a lot of the people that I knew and were working with were like, the industry is shut down. I got two kinds of contacts right away. One was people that I had been working with for a few years who were sending me notes saying, thank God we've been doing this work mm -hmm. because I know I'm okay. I'm just not clear for how long or how to navigate this unemployment craziness. When you have time, can we talk? But I, I'm, I know I'm okay. And the others were people saying, 
I'm in a group and everyone is panicking. Is there any way I can introduce these people to you? Can you do a workshop? And I would go in and I would just try to calm everyone down. And, and the folks that were not prepared were really scared. And I had to tell them, you know, the unemployment will come. And I know this is terrifying right now, but it, it will sort itself out. The preparation, not just for something unbelievable like a pandemic where we couldn't have even wrapped our minds around it before, right. but just the time between jobs, being prepared for that because we go through this cycle of the ups and downs. And the goal of IFCOM is to even it out, mm. to make sure that you are prepared for the lulls in income. And when you have that happening, your confidence is boosted creatively and in every part of your life. And I love that you say, according to your book, Financial Insight, I love that you say the solution to financial ch uh, challenges is not more money. Can you go into that a little yes. more? Oh, yes. So one of the things that I realized very early in my career, you know, I was in this very unique position to look into everyone's financial lives, all of my clients. And so there were people making significant amounts of money and people making modest amounts of money. And I'm in my 20s and they're coming to me with questions and I'm looking at all of their data and I'm saying, wait a minute, why are these people, some of them with large amounts of money flowing through their lives in debt, stressed, struggling, and some of them are doing fine. And then I'm looking at people with very modest amounts of money, income earners as well. And some of them are struggling and some of them are doing fine. And I'm like, wait a minute, it's not the quantity of money. Because I thought more money, more better. This is what I'm going to pursue. And then I started to realize there was a quality to people's decision-making that was all the difference. Mm. And that's how I came up with the concept of financial insight by really examining what was working for people in any income level with any amount of money. And it comes down to exactly two things. One is knowing what matters most to you, your values, the things that you really want to focus on in your life. And the other is an accurate knowledge of your data, really knowing your finances. And if you know your data and you know your values, we can then align those things to make good decisions. Okay. I'm obsessed with that, especially from a perspective of someone that has been living in the city for a year, right? Mm -hmm. Even yeah. like 22 years old. Yeah. What about the terrified college kids that have no idea what to do and how to start? Where do they start? Where does the person that has not yet moved to the bigger city and they have dreams and goals, What the person that just started their for now job, what about them? How does someone start this mentality? What are the practical things? What do they do with their money? Uh, what, what, how do they put it away? How do they save receipts for their CPA or for TurboTax or whatever it is? Like, how do they even start? Yeah, so I love working with young people like as they're, they're emerging, you know, into adulthood because they weren't taught. And so the first thing we have to do is get clarity about our relationship with money, and then start to focus on moving money in the direction of the things that we most want. So 
if you are someone that stability is so important to you, then when we're when you're looking for that first apartment and the choice is, you know, on your own or roommates and how much you can spend and where you can live, we want to make sure that you're not taking your paychecks and saying everything is going to this. We want to make sure that there's some money going to savings so that you start to feel that stability, right? If you are someone that, you know, sometimes folks are coming for the first time, but they have family support, we want to make sure that we're using that wisely and not just assuming it'll always be there because at some point, even with family support, you're going to want independence. And that's one of the big things that I find a lot of people that move to the city for the first time and maybe they have some savings or they have some family help or they just don't even know where they're starting. And they're saying, well, I'm going to figure it out. We want to focus on the way you want to feel when you're here in the city. Mm. If you want to be able to have a job that allows you to audition, we have to think about that when you're making those choices. One of my my favorite um, stories from way back was someone that came to me, um, first job, so excited, I'm going to make $30,000 a year. And I found an apartment for $1,500 a month. I'm nailing it. I'm like, no, 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 no. Because that 30,000, that's before they take the taxes out. You're not going to have enough to live. So we have to look at the bigger picture, right? We have to figure out what, what is actually going to work. So the first thing that I ask people to do is really look at their relationship with money. And as you said earlier, it's going to be different for everyone, right? It actually goes back to your earliest money memory. And if you think about the very first memory that you come up with when you think about money, there's going to be a thought about that, a reaction about that experience that you had, that when we pull that thread through to who you are now, you're going to recognize that you are still relating to money as that five, six, seven, eight-year-old. I have full chills. <laughs> you have can a memory? I can I share Please. mine? Please. The first time that I realized that uh, I I had, I felt weird about money was I, I, I went to this um, after school camp and there was uh, one time where I think it was because my dad was dating a woman that worked there, <laughs> but um, <laughs> it was a, it was an 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 acting camp. But and I was there for years. I had done this for years. But my dad started kind of dating this other person, and he was like, "All right, you're gonna go to this other after school camp, um, like two days a week." And I was like, okay, it didn't last long, but because mm -hmm. I didn't like it and it was whatever. But I remember in the act like the after school activities, it was very, very general after school activities things. Like it was like there was like a like a like a gymnastics setup, and then the next day we would go bowling and stuff like that. I never had pocket money. 
at those events. I never, ever, ever, ever had pocket money at those things. So all the people, all of my like co-campers after school would immediately run to the, the snack bar and get their fries or get their this. And I never did. And I see a lot of connections. One, I never carry cash with me. Mm-hmm. I'm always really surprised when I have cash in my pocket. And whenever I find cash in my pocket, I'm I immediately go to the like, ooh, what can I get with this? Like it's like a like a hot dog or fries or something. Mm-hmm. Then the other psychology behind it is I've gone the opposite way. Well, I'm never going to feel like that again. I'm always going to get the fries if I want them. Right. Amazing. Amazing. That thought, I'm always going to get the fries if I want them, probably shows up in more ways than you even realize just yet. So many. I I know you, you recently bought a home, right? Mm-hmm. When you were house shopping, can you see the little kid that was going to get the fries? Oh, he's, he still is. <laughs> every, yeah. Every, he still is with the new windows, with the doors, with the everything. Yes, yes. Every, it, it's, it's, and, yes. but the thing about it is like, I'm aware of it. Like, I, like, great. because, mm-hmm. because I came from a family that like, you know, it, it, I, I, we lived fine, but it wasn't, mm-hmm. we, you know, def, it wasn't the easy, like, it wasn't the easiest, but like, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and I'm, I, I want to buy the house for my mom. I want to buy the the next house that I buy. I want it to be for, and there's a part of me that like, when I bought this house, it was for my mom as well, for my family, for them to come and relax and enjoy as well. And it's for for everyone and there's such an emotional psychology behind it as well because like you know i compared myself growing up to other people's money experiences and um yeah i'm always going to get the fries if i want them so i we we've just met as you said at the top so i'm going to ask permission can i coach you a little bit can i ask you a couple questions if if you feel that this is going to, because I, I'm like a big, like self-focused person in terms of yeah. like, I don't like to be self-focused. If you mm-hmm. feel like this is going to help in terms of like audience, I would, yeah. I would love that. Great. Absolutely. So when you, what you just described about wanting to get the home for your mom and, you know, everything is for all the people around you. When you look back now as an adult at the little kid who was seeing that other people could do things and you weren't able to, how would you describe that now as an adult? Like in terms of like the emotional like yeah. language behind it? Yeah. Um. Uh, I guess it would be envy and maybe a little mm-hmm. like, uh, all right, now I'm going to get really into it. Okay. Okay. So, I don't talk with my dad anymore. Mm-hmm. And um, I later, you know, when in the late 90s and early 2000s, like, because I grew up in Florida, because this is going to sound bougie, 
Um, but it really wasn't because it wasn't that expensive back then. And every Floridian had it, like, even if you didn't mm-hmm. have, like, a big income. Um, I went to Disney about once a month. Because mm-hmm. um, that's what you sort of did, especially on, like, right. three-day weekends. And you got a park, you got the monthly, the the yearly pass. And mm-hmm. um, we didn't stay on property, cheap hotels. Like, we did it, like, very cheap. But I later put two and two together and sort of discovered that potentially my dad was doing this to get back at my mom for divorcing him. Mm-hmm. And I felt that energy and I still feel that energy. Yeah. Um. So I feel like there's like an envy, but also this money is sort of used to sh- get back or show off or use as collateral. Yeah, that's great. Is that is that memory younger than the camp memory? Older, a little older. It's old, like, a little older. By but just like three years. Yeah, yeah, got it. So it sounds like there was a lot of punishment and reward kind of concepts around money. Yeah, and a lot of, a lot of people grapple with with this in particular. But every single one of us is going to have a memory that is going to show us something. And the things that you're talking about, if we start to look now, if you came to me and said, we're working on a decision right now, we're looking at remodeling the house or we're thinking about you know, shifting some funds around to take different kinds of vacations, whatever we're talking about, you're going to notice these feelings about punishment and reward showing up in all of your financial conversations. So when that happens, when you're working with a, a coach around something like this, I can point out the blind spots and say to you, okay, we have to, we have to take you out of this conversation right. because when we know your values, and that would be a whole separate thing that we need to do, the things that are most important to you, right? I'm definitely hearing careers important to you, family, but you only you can really define what those specific things are. When we have that, we'll notice when punishment and reward is getting in the way of you pointing money at the things that are most important to you. Mm-hmm. So now I know you want practical stuff in this conversation. So let's let's get this to, to the point where people can hear how that works, right? So I was working with someone that um, was really struggling to find fulfillment in her career. And she wanted to pivot, but she couldn't figure out the financial challenge of that. You know, like if I, if I leave this work and go get this other education, how am I, how am I going to make that happen? And we had to look back at what was stopping her in her family of origin. There was a lot of scarcity. There was a lot of doing without. So even though she and her spouse had built all of this stability They had savings. We mapped out the whole plan for how she could leave her job and go to school. She was still feeling this financial paralysis. She couldn't make the shift. And it all went back to going back to that younger self and saying, no, I hear you worried that we're going to run out of money, that this isn't going to work, that I'm taking the rug out from under the stability. But it's, but all of the data is here. And what I truly want is to make this career change. And so that my family 
can progress with me being happy in what I'm doing. That was when we were able to make the decisions. And she decided to actually go part-time in her job and part-time in school just Mm -hmm. to dip her toe because that gave her more comfort. Miraculously, I say miraculously, but this tends to be what happens. When you start to align your choices, when you start to say, okay, the data all makes sense. And this does match what I really want in my life. The world opens up and things happen. Her husband ended up getting a promotion for significantly more money. And they needed to move to a place that was going to cost less. Mm. (laughs) And everything started to work. And she was able to leave her job, finish school, start a new career. Their family was in place before their child went to school. Like everything worked out and aligned. All because we were able to get that that relationship with money clear and help her take the actual action steps. So when you ask about the practical, I'm going to say that we have to deal with the feelings first, mm. right? If from Even if we just go with like basic things, there's a class you want to take, but you can't seem to find the money, but you also don't want to look at your finances. Mm. That's not going to work. And you may be thinking, oh my God, I cannot bring my financial picture to Jody because she's going to see how much I'm spending on takeout and she's going to tell me that's where you're going wrong. Well, first of all, we're all doing that one. Like that is the <laughs> most common thing, right? right? But this is the thing that I see a lot of stuff on socials about, you know, people feeling like, stop telling me not to spend money and enjoy my life in order to be successful. That is one thousand percent right we have to find the sweet spot for your life where do you want to point money i want you to go out with your friends i want you to go out for drinks i want you to have your coffees not to the point where you're not doing the other things that you want as well Mm -hmm. so we have to be able to look at the data to find the balance you know um you said something earlier about the shame and i really want to point out that everyone grapples with these kinds of emotions. So when I speak in front of a group or I'm working in a workshop or even one-on-one and I ask someone to give me three adjectives that describe their relationship with money. Do you want to have at it? Should I tell you what the big ones are? Shame. Yep. Let me guess. Shame. Um, What's a good word for like uneducated, like shame, uncertainty, uncertainty, uncertainty Mm -hmm. and shame, uncertainty and, and terror, like, let's throw in something about scariness, like a a fear. Fear. Yeah. Fear. The top four are shame, regret, fear, and in the best of circumstances, uncertainty. That is what everyone is feeling. And I want you to know, this is not just artists. This is not just if come earners. I will speak to someone with a significant income and savings and no debt and a home and all the stability they could dream of. And they come to me with uncertainty. All coming back to because no one taught us. So we're all feeling fear, shame, regret, uncertainty, some variety of that. And then we're all afraid to talk about it. 
That's why I'm so excited to have opportunities like this to tell people, no, we need to talk about it. I'm going to literally make this a required like homework assignment in my class. Like Love it. this, this is, this is incredible. And I'm learning a lot. I, um, yeah, it, it, first of all, we're reading Barbara Streisand's book right now, and she lives by mm -hmm. the, and I love this, like Rem, my husband and I have, and you know, we bought the house, I, I bought the house for Remy and for my puppy, you mm -hmm. know, so you know what I mean? It's for my family to grow and for us to, yes. we need it, we needed it emotionally. Um, But, uh, you know, we're reading Barbara's book, and she says at the point of preparation, the universe will come together will conspire and support you. I think that's what the quote is. Yeah. And to me, that's practical because what you're saying about the dipping your, about the client that dipped her toes in and then her husband got, I've noticed that before where yeah. when you take that risk, it's another way of saying leap in the net will catch you. Right. Like mm -hmm. I, 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 there's always, please go with me here. And <laughs> listeners, please go with me here as well, because I don't know everyone's personal lives. But mm -hmm. oftentimes when I hear someone go, oh, I just, you know, I really want to move to the city. And I go, well, why don't you? And they say, I'm, I'm just saving up for it. I want to go, how, how long are you going to save up for it? Like what, like... Maybe mm -hmm. you do have a certain number, but I don't think that is actually what's holding you back. I think what's actually holding you back is fear, uncertainty, you know, uh, yeah. those those sorts of things. And um, I think people don't move to their to their big place, their their dream city, or 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 taking on their career because. Um, what of what they've heard it must be so hard it must be so hard but i think that there's so much more holding them back like remy and i were just in puerto rico and um we stayed at this beautiful hacienda in the mountains of puerto rico i'm still i'm still i mean we were there technically two days ago but i'm and i'm, I'm still a little tan which is nice um <laughs> and there was someone there and in, in this hacienda it's like you stay with multiple people. You all have privacy in separate rooms and stuff. But the whole point is that you you dine with the family that owns it and you're all there sharing the space together and you're meeting people. Well, there was this young woman who was there and she kind of hung out with Remy and I on the on the last day we were there. And we got to know each other in that short of amount short amount of time. And this is the first time that she and you know, Puerto Rico is is separate but it's this you know it's 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 same same but different with you know the technicalities yeah. of the you know the the land and where it is and stuff like that and um but puerto rico was as far as she has ever been and the girl was terrified and she had never she was finally doing something for herself and it was so mm -hmm. like admirable you know mm -hmm. And she was, and she was so, she was so open to talk about finances. I remember she, she, in the middle of a conversation, she was like, y'all, she had the Southern accent. It was from Ohio. It was very funny. She's like, y'all want to know how much I pay for my rent? And it was so funny to hear her talk <laughs> about like her experiences. Um, 
and what was important to her and what was scary to her. The fact that she was like going to Puerto Rico by herself was like the best, the biggest and best thing she's ever done for herself. And it was really kind of amazing. Um, and then it makes me think with this conversation, what are people holding themselves back from because of their relationship yeah. to money? Yeah. You, Which is so an, an obvious question, but. There's, there's two myths that I cover in my programs that you're pointing to um, in this. So I'm going to, I'm going to go down both tracks. Please. First, I want to talk about the myth of uncertainty, and then I'm going to talk about the myth of someday. So the myth of uncertainty, I talk about in the if come course and that is this notion that if come earners are always going to have this uncertainty and so they can't have stability. Mm. And when people are, you know, someone's saying to you, I'm going to move to the city, but you're saying, well, what's holding you back? It's their lack of belief that they can find the way to do it is really where that that mm -hmm. starts, right? And so we have to talk about, and I introduce in the IFCOM course, where these concepts came from. And it's because many years ago, people with steady income looked at folks without steady income and deemed them unemployed. And that's not true. If you have multiple sources of income, that doesn't mean that you aren't employed. It means that you have a business. You own a business. As an income earner, you own a business and it's coming from multiple sources. And that would kind of bring us back to some of your earlier questions about some practical stuff. So we can come back there. And I after. do have follow-up questions. I do want to talk about yeah. someday, but I also want to talk about then- you know, mm -hmm. we have a lot of, lot of Jewish open windows, right? A lot of, <laughs> um, so I want to then talk about incorporating in taxes and stuff like that. Then yes. when, what does that mean? When is the right time to do that? So let's, I, I, I just want to like bookmark that. We'll pin that. <laughs> We're going to come yes. back to it after this. So, you know, First, getting ourselves out of this myth of uncertainty and understanding you can be successful no matter which path you are taking, it's going to be uniquely yours. In order for you to get out of the myth of uncertainty, you have to start to define your vision of success. Mm -hmm. And success is not some end game. It is not some distant point in the future. It is your whole path. So if success at the beginning of your career means moving to the city and auditioning, that is success. You are doing it. Booking the gigs is a separate success. Not everyone is striving for fame and fortune. There are many paths here. There are many people who say, I just want steady work. That's not a just. I always ask them to take the just out of that sentence. Mm. I want steady work is a vision of success. Mm. And so we start working toward that. Now I want to turn to the myth of someday because that same person that says, I'm going to move to the city and you say, what's holding them back? They haven't set a time. 
They haven't said when. And until you, and you know, I, I actually joke about this in the course. I tell people to, you know, you have your calendar and your phone, pick up your phone, find me someday. Mm. It's not in there. Wow. And, and so we can't, we can't plan for someday. That means we have to pick a date. Now a date is not a deadline. A date is what I like to call a working when. If you say, I'm going to move into the city in five years, great. Now we can start to make your data make sense. We can start to point money in the direction of that. Mm -hmm. But if it's someday, that's a myth. That's not something you're actually at work on. When I was living in New Jersey, I decided I needed to move myself into New York City. And I... I had debt at the time. I was just out of a divorce, struggling a bit. And this was before I created financial insight training. I'm really the first student. I had to figure out how to move myself <sighs> from everything I knew, from looking at my clients and the knowledge mm -hmm. that I had, what was missing. And I came up with the missing information and created it for myself. But it wasn't until I said, I am going to move into New York City in seven years that I got to work seriously on the goal. Right. And because I said that, that seven years became two years before I moved. Amazing. And and it, it was fear-based that I set out the goal for such a long period of time. But once you start with a date and you start working on it, a couple things happen. One, you realize whether or not it's a goal you actually want to work toward. It stops being, and it, it stops being like a mystery, like I'm going to move someday. If you pick a date and you start working on it and you're not feeling it, that's not your goal. Right. Now you can let go of that, put something else in its place that you want to give your energy to. Another thing that happens is that it propels you forward faster because you now have a reason to point money in the direction of things that matter most to you. Mm -hmm. So you're not just kind of waffling around trying to figure it out. It creates something. So mm -hmm. I want everyone to set specific dates, month, day, year on everything that they're dreaming about. And then we work with it from there, not deadlines, working ones. I'm literally obsessed with you. <laughs> well, it's, you. it's, it's so, it's so, it's so real. It is so real. And I always say, you know, in, 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 first of all, you being your, your first client is so real because that's what Michael Kushner photography was. Right. Mm -hmm. I had to know the type of experience that I want in a headshot session nice. because, you know, I was a child actor. I've had so many experiences, right. And figuring out how to, present myself in the world today with the tactics that make a photo shoot good because I think so many clients were like I love my photos I think they're cool I think they're great I didn't love my experience when I shot with this person they did this or I do but it was never about like them in this situation, they would always remove themselves from the situation. And I can almost guarantee you that it's never just the photographer's fault. And I don't mean to sound harsh about that, but 
I have seen incredibly successful photo shoots in this studio because the actor knows what they want and how they're going to get it. And if they don't know how they're going to get it, they ask and they're open. The unsuccessful headshot sessions that I see in the studio are when there is no goal setting, when there is no awareness of where they are in space, when they act like they've known everything and experienced everything and they don't ask for help. I had a really amazing experience about asking for help in college that sort of was a tough pill to swallow for my ego, but ultimately it changed the game. My professor, Mary Cassaro, um, we had this assignment in um, musical theater work, musical theater workshop. Yes. And she assigned me the song called Mama a Rainbow, which is a pretty well-known men male identifying song song for male identifying artists i mean it doesn't matter anyone could actually sing that song what am i talking about <laughs> but in the musical it's sung it's sung by one of the marx brothers um and part of the assignment was that we had to do a character analysis for it right and this is my senior and i was a snot-nosed senior who is constantly looking for his summer stock gig because I was like very goals. I was very goal oriented. I still am mm -hmm. very goal oriented, but sometimes that got in the way of the process. Mm -hmm. So, and there's a difference, I think, and I'm sure you've experienced that where there's like goal setting, but then there's like completely avoid, like completely uh, being unaware of like the, uh, the things that are like informing your process and who you are as a person. Um, and <laughs> I, bullshitted the character analysis i like totally bullshitted it and i got that character analysis back with red ink all over it and basically just like see me on the bottom and i walked into her office as i guess and she was like she was like i know that you didn't read the script the libretto and i know you you basically bs this and i was like well i don't know i i, I tried and she and I was like, I just couldn't find, I thought I was going to find the libretto. I thought I was going to find the script and I couldn't. So I, and she opens up her drawer and puts down a stack of papers. And she, I think said something like, and it was the libretto to the show, Minnie's Boys. And she was said something, I think like, I'm one of six people that has this libretto. All you have to do is ask. Hmm. And I was so ashamed, but also so inspired at the same time. And that's what I feel is missing with my clients sometimes is that they just, and I, I they don't want to ask and I try to create the, the space for them to do it. Like I, another thing that drives my question of photography is that I rem want to remain as accessible as possible. Um, I certainly, I don't have the cheapest rates in the city, but I certainly don't have the most expensive ones. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I provide such free information. I provide free information on my socials all the time. Tips, tricks, examples, do this, avoid this. Things that people technically should be paying me for. Information that people should be paying me for. My book is $34. I wrote a book for 30 and it's available for $34. And I still choose to give out that free information because I believe in accessibility. Um, 
but it's really so interesting to see the people that don't want it mm-hmm. um and i don't really know where that comes from but my mentality is like i want i'm not the one that uses these headshots in the auditions you are i can't tell you every single answer but i can guide you to that like yesterday i had a client who came in with basically two of the same outfits and both of like one of the outfits sort of felt like him and the other was just like a pretty lazy choice and um i said i i i feel like this outfit doesn't serve you but and then i have some clothes here that i give people if you know we're mm-hmm. figuring stuff out and we put on this leather jacket and came alive and i was like just give give yourself options and that was what i loved about it was he was so open to the situation that he wasn't like no sorry this is what i'm wearing like this is what my manager said i can't stray away from that he was like yeah okay cool dude sounds good like thanks so much for that and it worked and i give them the option too let's look at the picture if it doesn't work we change it mm-hmm. a sense of play and that's what i think is probably interesting for you is that you sort of approach your business with a sense of play. And I don't know how many people want to approach their money with a sense of play. Play is so important when it comes to this. And the, the, I love what you're saying. You know, one of the things that you're really, I think pointing to is our, our, struggles with vulnerability you know i i can talk to people about money all day getting in front of a camera so hard for me you know the wonderful alexa who introduced us has been working with me with social media and i mean you should watch some of our outtake videos because they are hysterical because i implode because i'm in front of a camera it's not comfortable for me for for all of the very talented people that you know are out there creatives that I work with and that are your listeners um I am the triple non-threat I cannot sing I cannot dance I cannot act I have none of those skills I'm very fortunate to feel comfortable speaking Uh but when you put me in front of a camera like you can't script me I have to riff I can only come from 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 my thoughts in Mm -hmm. speaking um, which can be challenging when you're when I'm creating an entire course and my videographer had to sit there while I riff um, and do all of the editing. But, you know, it's that vulnerability, finding that in yourself. So in financial insight training, the program is called the Fit Universe. Um, I make sure that people understand and I remind them constantly, this is a judgment-free zone. What that means is, I'm not judging you. It doesn't matter to me how much you're spending on different things. I'm not looking at it and saying right or wrong. And I'm never giving you advice. I'm teaching you how to make decisions. Mm -hmm. But even more important than me not judging you is that I have to make sure that you are not judging you. Uh As you said earlier, we're all comparing ourselves. You know, you, someone will love their home. They will be in their home and they'll be like, God, I'm so pleased and I'm so proud of this. And then they flip on their TV or they go watch some videos on social and they see some celebrities home and they feel diminished. 
why are you feeling diminished? First of all, you have no idea whether or not that person is happy in their life. A big home does not mean that they are happier than you. And you may look at that and say, wow, that's amazing. I'd love to have that. And my first question would be, would you really? Would you really want to spend on that? Is that really how you want to point the money? And so we have to get away from comparisons and judgments in order to really find our vision of success and move ourselves to the happiest we can be now and in the future. For me, my identity as a New Yorker is really important to me. So when we started looking to buy, I was originally looking at like potential like brownstone opportunities, Mm -hmm. right? Because in my like vision, you're not a New Yorker until you own a New York. Okay. I don't know who told me that. I don't know. know. I'm also going to say it's not true to anyone listening, but go on. (laughs) it's not true that's the thing but in my mind i was like you're not a new yorker michael until you own then Mm. you're a new yorker Mm. and all of the places that i mean we didn't look at many because i was literally like why am i buying this like Mm -hmm. and um remy went to go do a show in cape may new jersey and i drove with sandwich our puppy and he had actor housing to himself because it was a three-person play starring um, Karen Z- Tony winner Karen Ziemba and her husband, Bill. Uh, and they had their own house in Cape May, their own amazing wow. place. So actor housing was this big house that belonged to Remy for a month and a half. So I brought Sandwich up and we were there for like four days. And Sandwich was happier than a pig and shit. And he had a backyard and we were also happy. We woke up, made a cup of coffee, sat outside in lawn chairs. And we were like, this is, I think what it is. This is what we need. So we figured, I was like, I sat down with myself and I was like, can I do rent and a mortgage? Because when we were thinking of leaving this apartment, we also got sad. We love this apartment. Mm -hmm. So we were like, let's go look. Let's go look. Let's just take one day. We heard about this area that a bunch of artists live in. And the area is, it's an, it's 50 minutes from Manhattan, but it feels like a mm-hmm. different world. It's a lake community. Mm-hmm. And we looked at one house and it was like, we're just looking. We're looking today, babe. We're looking. First house I didn't even walk into because I was like, someone definitely got murdered here. 100%. I was like, <laughs> spiritually, I was like, well, I can't even go in there. Then we looked at some other houses and they were cute. And then we saw this one house that had a view and a backyard that you can't, you can't make or buy or, you know, it just was. And the house needed work, but we can see it. We can see those, those things. Um, and we sort of were like, I don't know. We were standing in the backyard and sort of looked at each other. And we're like, this might be it. And then we put an offer in a house on that house over lunch an hour later. And then we closed a few months later and that's our house. And it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I'm so glad we did it. Knock on wood still too, but like, I'm so glad that we did it 
and again putting it out there being like i this is what i want and listening to the clues that tell you it's actually going to be this and this is what you're going to do like what you were talking about before um how the seven-year goal for you became mm -hmm. two years yeah that was sort of the house we said all right let's do this and then it came to much 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 quicker than we thought um i think that can happen to a lot more people if they set that date and they set that time yeah and and listen to the struggle so if you're looking at brownstones and it's feeling uncomfortable, listen to that struggle. Yeah. It's trying to tell you something, right? And I want to remind people that there's there's no right answer. There's your right answer. Right, right, right. Your dream home is someone else's nightmare. Right. Right. But, right. Oh, oh my God. When when people people are literally like, we don't know how you're remodeling. I could never do that in a million years. And for Remy and I, we're like, it's it is the most relaxing thing for us because it gets us out mm -hmm. of our head. It's problem solving. But for other people, they're like, could never, would never, will right. never. And I think that is so funny. But for me, a huge thing was because I have my business, you know, my I have my business. It was very, very, very important to me in my heart and also mm -hmm whatever that we stayed in new york city and found a place yeah. that we could easily access and turns out we're actually in we're at the house split between the city um but we're you know we're we have a place in the city that is home as well and that is very very important to me because i am a new yorker and i am a proud new yorker um but I also need a lake house to like decompress and mm -hmm. bake and use a different part of myself that then I can come to the city and feel refreshed. Um, we have to wrap up, which really, really, mm -hmm. really blows because I could talk to you forever. <laughs> like um, but I do want to wrap up with the conversation that we were mm -hmm. going to talk about yeah. incorporating taxes what are the things that artists need to know about incorporating mm -hmm. why do you incorporate when do you incorporate taxes how does an actor an artist a a, a producer do taxes someone new mm -hmm. doing taxes mm -hmm. what do we have to know so the first thing that i really want people to understand about this is that there is a lot of misinformation out there. Please don't Google for this information. Just please, I'm begging you. There are services constantly in my social feed giving people misinformation. And it's the first thing you want to ask yourself is if there is a, a social video telling you that you must incorporate, take a look at what that company does. Oh, they sell incorporation services. Ha <laughs> ha. Like it's, it's not that complicated. This is not guidance and advice. You want to actually speak to a professional, a CPA who can actually guide you on this. And you want to make sure that they understand artists and that they work with creatives routinely. I say that. And then I also, my shoulders immediately go up because I'm like, be careful of anyone that says they specialize, mm. right? Because that that's also a little bit of marketing. 
But here is the, the true what's so of it. You don't need to have an LLC or a corporation. You can operate as an individual. Mm. You will not save taxes by creating an entity. Your taxes are going to be basically the same. You might trade one type of tax for another type of tax. And that's where people get confused because they'll mm. be told you're going to save on what's called self-employment tax, which I'll explain in a second. But what they don't realize is, oh, I'm going to save on self-employment tax, mm, but then you're going to pay corporate tax. So what is the trade-off? So we really want to look at your unique circumstances. The times that you want to make the decision to create an LLC or to create a corporation, and those are those are legal entities, right? So it's what I say for tax purposes, there's no such thing as an LLC. That's a whole other talk that I give. We'd have to do that in a whole separate episode. So what I want people to know is that when you create something like that, it's because the people that are hiring you want you to have an entity. That should be the trigger. It's not a dollar amount. It's not saving taxes. It's when it's required for your business to grow. So when I meet with people for the first time, I listen for where their business is headed. What are the things they're doing? Who's hiring them? If you're working in television, they're treating you as an employee anyway. You don't need a corporation, mm. right? If you're working on Broadway, we decide when it's the right time for you to have a corporation. Um, the main thing that you need to do when you, especially when you are just starting out, is have a separate business, let me correct that, a separate bank account that you use strictly for business. So if you are Michael Kushner and you have a business of Michael Kushner Photography, you're just starting out, you want to have a personal account in your name and you want to have a business account that could also just be in your name. You don't have to pay extra fees to the bank to have a business account as a what's called a sole proprietor, just as a business owner without any sort of entity wrapper around it. So you just need a separate account where all of your income goes in and all of your expenses go out. Now you're organized. You don't have to save receipts. You don't have to mm -hmm. go through hoops to put together your information. It's all in one place. So unblend your personal from your business. That is the first action step that I want everyone to take. When I was doing some classes at AMDA, that was the first thing that I told them. Separate your personal and your business. This does a few things besides keeping it organized. Another thing that it does is it gives you the ability to see when you're making enough money to pay yourself into your personal account, when you're making enough money to maybe give up some of those, what I like to call pathway jobs that people call side hustles, mm -hmm. because you have enough and you're creating stability in your life. Mm -hmm. So we want to get to paying you routinely from your business. And there's a number of steps we take, but the very first thing that I want you to do is organize your life. Personal and business are separate. 
That is so helpful. I mean, when I was writing my book and I had, a, and I have a section on protection, mm -hmm. um, that's where I decided to put the talk about incorporating in because in the research that I've done and all people could, you're the first person to really say there's not a difference. And this is going to help financially. There's financially. a difference legally, but there's not a difference financially. And Correct. then the 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 legal difference is that it protects you as an entity. Mm -hmm. um, that's pretty much all that I've discovered and put in the book was that like you incorporate when you want to protect yourself because if someone comes for you, they don't come for you personally, and it protects it protects you in that way. But are there other incentives for that? Well, and I and I want to point to that as well. So it protects you legally by keeping it the assets of the business, what the business owns is separate from what you own. We also want insurance for those purposes, right. depending on because insurance will pay any claims, depending on the work you do. I always say to people, what is the likelihood someone is suing you? Like, if that's not as as an actor, the likelihood that you're being sued is much smaller than, you know, potentially even as a photographer, if a light falls on someone, right? Like, yes, things like that can happen, right? Someone can get injured. So you want to think about that protection. Mm -hmm. But if someone is suing your corporation, if you did something so egregious to cause that suit, they're suing you personally too. Right. Right. So, we want to think about legal protection, keeping if the business owns things, your business owns equipment. We want that to be what the business owns separate from what you own personally. So entities, legal entities are about ownership. Mm -hmm. They're about legal protection for what the business owns versus what you own personally. And they're, they're also important for um, the, the separation of your business and personal, but you can do that simply at the beginning with mm -hmm. bank accounts mm -hmm. to separate the dollars. And then there's the also conversation of, you know, being put on payroll, mm -hmm. um, from your business as well. And there's so right. many, but you know, for people just starting with their finances, that's not something that they need to worry about right. immediately. Um, but I love that the separation between your, your business entity and your personal accounts is, is really great. Um, and then taxes. What now we know that mm -hmm. Trump in, in uh, put into motion, the salt taxes, right. Which mm -hmm. sort of changed <clears throat> things. And then there was sort of a cap at $10,000 for just deductions. Is that still like, what do, what do artists have to know about taxes and what is in effect now, what is helpful, uh, what is untrue and what is true? Great. So what you just pointed to SALT that stands for state and local taxes, that's part of what's called the itemized deductions. And this is something that everyone gets confused. <laughs> itemized deductions are not your business deductions. These mm -hmm. are two completely separate things. So if you have freelance income, you get to deduct your expenses related to producing that income. So if you are 
I'm going to keep using photographer because that's that's what we have what I have in front of me. So if you're a freelance photographer and you have income in that business and you have expenses, equipment and travel and some dining out and supplies and support people that you hire, that's all deductible as part of the business. That has nothing to do with salt and itemized deductions. Item, every every individual gets to take a standard deduction or an itemized deduction that has to do with whether you own a home, have charitable contributions, state and local taxes, medical expenses. That's itemized versus standard deduction. Interesting. See, mm-hmm. I was just um, I I I was just sort of putting it all under the same umbrella as that yeah. it's all itemized. Most people do actually a difference between is there a limit on one of them versus the other or so your standard versus itemized there's a uh, an amount that you are allowed which i don't remember this year's math I... it changes every year it's around 12 13,000 okay. per person um and double that for married filing joint if you're itemized deductions are more than that you can take more up to whatever is legally correct there's no limit as long as you're working within all the different tax guidelines there completely separate from what we're talking about which is people that have freelance income artists creatives that have income coming in from all different sources and they are not working as an employee all of your expenses your headshots your uh, financial coach, <laughs> your all, all of the, the accounting, the tax prep, all of those costs are part of your business expenses. You take all of your business income minus your business expenses, and that's called your profit, and that's what you pay taxes on. So it's completely separate, and you are not alone. Everyone collapses wow. these things, and I spend my days uncollapsing them. See, I'm even learning stuff on Dear Multi-Avenant. I listen, I learn stuff on Dear Multi-Avenant all the time. And Jody, it was so amazing to talk with you. I mean, this is so helpful and we probably should do a part two. Um, where can people get in contact with you? Uh, how can people get behind you and support you and all that stuff? Yes, thank you so much. So the website is financialinsighttraining.com. On Instagram, it's financial.insight.training. And um, you can get my book, which is called Financial Insight, Be the Author of Your Life Story, because every decision you make is writing your story. And um, please reach out, be in touch. I'm on TikTok too, Financial Insight Training. I can't even believe that. Um, Trying to have some fun putting myself in front of the camera. So please support, please hit like, share, comment, all those things if you're following on social, because that's how the algorithm is going to find me. And what I want people to know is just like you said earlier, you give away a lot of, a lot of tips and information in my programs and in working with me and following me, I always want to give people the most precious thing that I have, which is my time. Mm -hmm. I want to coach you. I want to talk about your personal circumstances. So come be with me. I I like to think of it as a big financial hug and we're going to make everything financial feel better. You are absolutely amazing. 
Thanks to Broadway Podcast Network and thanks to you listening. Please follow Jody and if you're new to me, follow Dear Multi-Hyphenate on Instagram or at the Michael Kushner on Instagram and TikTok as well. I'm tired. All right. Bye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.